the stroke of midnight. On New Year's Eve of the last decade of the 20th century, America's largest city is about to pay for the nastiness of its inhabitants. When that day comes, when the slime starts to rise, the Titanic just arrived. When ghosts start arriving by the boatload, we gotta find the guys. There's only one thing to do. Sometimes weird things happen. Someone has to deal with it. And who are you gonna call? Suck in the cuts, guys. We're the Ghostbusters. The superstars of the supernatural are back to nuke the spooks. Two in the box. Ready to go. We be fast and baby slow. Make some time. Don't put any of those old cheap moves on me. No, no, no. It's different. I have all new cheap moves. Raise your spirits. If we don't do something by midnight, you will be remembered in history as the man who let New York get sucked down into the 10th level of hell. And kick some slime. Looks like a giant jello mold. I hate jello. Oh, come on. There's always room for jello. Happy New Year. Close them. Ghostbusters 2. You're short. Your belly button sticks out too far, and you're a terrible burden on your poor mother. Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, and Ernie Hudson in an Ivan Reitman film. Ghostbusters 2. We're the best, we're the beautiful, we're the only Ghostbusters. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast here on Channel 1138. And who are you going to call, ladies and gentlemen? That's right, we're talking more Ghostbusters tonight specifically Ghostbusters 2. We're continuing our ongoing discussion. We talked about the first movie, and you know you know how we are. It's like, well, we'll just talk about all of them. So that's what we're going to do tonight. And uh, it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. Before we can get into it, of course, introductions are in order. My name is Ben, and joining me, it is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Arnold. Zach, what's going on with you? Uh, I'm I'm still trying to figure out whether that voice was a was a ghostly voice or if it was like a Dracula voice. That or... was my haunted mansion 
vibing okay. thing. Okay, okay. <laughs> Maybe. Because it, okay, this is going to sound really, really obscure, but do you remember the TV show Arthur, the PBS show Arthur? Oh, absolutely. Okay, there's this one episode where Buster's mom is dating this guy that Buster's never met before, and he's got, like, this super anxiety about meeting this guy for the first time and he has like this this imaginary dream state where he thinks maybe the guy is a robot and <laughs> during during his imaginary dinner sequence the robot says you'll just love what's for dinner and then he pushes a button in the boston cream pie and he goes it's you <laughs> and then like Buster and his mom start melting or something on screen, and then it flashes back to reality. Oh that my voice, god. That voice wow. reminded me of that one sequence from the TV show. You want to know how weird my memory is? That impersonation you did brought back memories of a really random, really obscure scene from a random episode of Arthur. I love it because... I will do that too. I'll just have stuff pop into my head, and I it will take me like ten minutes to like place it. I'm like, where do I remember that? It's so faint; it's just there, and I have to like search around to like get the context because it's so obscure. And then if I don't barely know it, then no one else is gonna know it. So I'm alone in my brain. Yep. Yep. Well. I'm really excited to be talking about this episode of Arthur. I mean, uh, Ghostbusters. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I wish we were talking about Arthur. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into it. Um, but before we do that, you you hear him snickering in the background. It is our good friend, Mr. Jake Damon. Jake, what's going on? Not a whole lot, guys. I am feeling pretty pretty good most of today and then tonight for some reason my energy has just gone super downhill so i'm trying to stay awake here with a, cla a glass of cold water and uh maybe just maybe i can muster up some thoughts about the sequel to uh ghostbusters uh appropriately titled ghostbusters 2 oh oh it was roman numerals i thought we had just skipped over the other 10 movies and went to ghostbusters 11 no this is not ghostbusters 11 <laughs> Uh, I would not be surprised if sometime like a hundred years from now we get a Ghostbusters 11 with the way the world is, but you know, not yet. Everything's a rehash. Everything's a sequel. Everything's a soft reboot. Oh I my think gosh! That, I think that's why people are so apprehensive about Tenant because they have no idea what that movie is supposed to be about because it's not based on anything else. It's a completely original story. And they're like, I don't know what to do with this. It's not another Batman movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That movie, okay, fun fact, I talked about Tenant as if I watched it on the latest episode of Delayed Replay, which is our good <laughs> friend uh, Stephen Schinder's podcast. And that show is basically just an invitation to BS your way through it. And oh, if you dude. listen, if you listen to that show, it's me just kind of going, "Oh, hey, this and that," and then by the end, I'm just firing on all cylinders, saying whatever crap comes to mind. Hey. It's hilarious. It's great, and it also awesome. doesn't contradict anything in the trailers because that movie is completely undecipherable. Right, <laughs> right. I I had a really good time discussing New Mutants on that ah. show. With <laughs> And by the time all of it was said and done, I had made several references to other movies 
and came up with like my own finish, like my own storyline to this movie. Like some characters made a sacrifice and some characters ended up in this place and other characters got away and made it to the X mansion. Like I did this whole spiel about how this movie went and I have no clue how it actually goes. So it's, it's, it's really fun because it's, it's almost like acting to a certain degree. It's like you're pretending to be in a parallel universe and reviewing movies as they actually came out instead of all of this pandemic delay stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I'm giving away a huge spoiler here for the movie and for the podcast because this is absolutely true. But I dropped the scoop that uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman is in Tenet. Uh-huh. So, uh, and it's all connected now. It's all a connected universe. Christopher Nolan is a genius. Oh, interesting. So he's been working with Reeve this whole time, and that's why he wants this movie to release in theaters, because there's a jaw-dropping moment that he wants people to experience together. There you go. You figured it out. Okay. It makes a little more sense. While we're on the topic of of movies and movie theaters and stuff real quick, did y'all catch the new agreement that happened between AMC and Universal? I caught a little bit of that, yeah. So usually the the minimum, the base minimum for a movie from Universal to be released in an AMC theater was like 73 days or something like that. Like that's the minimum that they had in their contract. It has to be in playing in theaters for at least this amount of time. That contract has since been revised to where the window for seeing a Universal picture in AMC theaters could only be 17 days. (laughs) Oh, wow turnover time from theater to digital has gotten to under three weeks that's incredible and this is after they like barred them like we're not going to show your movies anymore in our theaters Mm -hmm. um so i mean i guess it's progress but that's still crazy it's it, it it's unprecedented it's unheard of and if this rings true for other movies then we're going to be like rushing to see stuff in the theaters, which is going to cause a huge like population control issue, because if we're only seating at like 50 percent capacity, then people are going to be buying tickets left and right for just about any showtime they can get their hands on because they want to see it in theaters before it's gone in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not going to be comfortable going to a full theater for probably another year. <laughs> Right. Uh, man, if it's the if it's the AMC dine in in Grapevine, Texas, then I will go at at least seventy percent capacity, because those seats are usually pretty spread out, and they've got an amazing menu. So it I'll does help. It. it does help. I'll I'll I'll, ri- I'll risk it for the dinner. Risk it for the dinner. Yeah. Risk, well, risk it for the brisket, even though they don't have brisket fries there anymore, and I'm pissed off at them for that. No. <laughs> How dare they? All right. You gotten your brisket shirts yet? I uh, need to check my mail. Well, they're in the mail. They should be there soon because they were mailed like a week and a half ago. So, well, I I, I've heard the mail's going to be like slowing down now. So maybe that's part of it. Yeah, fortunate. But I'm definitely not let you know. Tonight. I'm not getting into politics tonight. Nope, um, nope, nope. Look for that because as soon as you guys get it, we need to do like a socially distanced group shot of all three of us in those shirts. So, yeah. you know, uh, I'm sure if like Jake holds out his phone and then I stand in a certain position and then, you know, you Jake, you got to hold up your phone high enough to compensate for the curvature of the earth. But like you might be able to get me and then Zach stands somewhere behind me, then you should be able to get him. So, like, 
big long distance awesome, selfie. That's gonna be an awesomely smart smartphone to be able to like zoom past the other tens of millions of people between Jake and myself. Technology's come a long way now. It really has, but I don't know if it's going to get that far yet. We shall see. Okay, well, I think it's time, guys. We can't put it off any longer. We've got to talk about it. I'll put it off. I'm I'm okay with this week's discussion compared to last week's. (laughs) You've settled into it, eh? Hey, (laughs) I'm... I'm just going to go ahead and break the ice here. I enjoyed this one more than I liked the first one. Really? Yep. And see, Joey's not here to witness this. Come on, this is this is sad. <laughs> yeah, Joey. Joey's in the chat, and he says, I'm not able to listen. I'm just in the chat to heckle Zach. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> You've got nothing to heckle him over now. He's on there's, your side. There's really, there's really not much to heckle me over, aside from maybe having a warped perspective about the franchise as a whole. But I, I just think this one, I, I liked this one more. I, don't, I won't necessarily say it was a better film because, like, financially speaking, it wasn't. But as far as enjoyment goes, I enjoyed this one more than the last one. Really? Um, yeah, I have some thoughts, <laughs> but I won't get into them just yet. Um, Jake, why don't yes. you why don't you start us off with kind of your overall like first impressions? Assuming this is your first time seeing this movie. Yeah, this is my first time. Um, I watched the first one with my wife. This one, she didn't get to watch it with me, so I was flying solo for this one. But uh, it was it was an interesting experience because I had heard about elements from this movie. I had seen images and clips of things like the slime and, and uh, the Statue of Liberty and wasn't really sure how all of that fit together. And... Upon watching this, I would say that it was interesting, to say the least, and to say the most, it was a uh, not as good sequel. You know, it's not the it's not the Empire Strikes Back of the Ghostbusters universe, Um, but I did find a lot to enjoy in it. And I thought a lot worked in it. And it I didn't think it was as much of a rehash as some people say it is. Because I always heard that it was basically a carbon copy of the first one. And I was like, I think there's enough differing elements in this to make it stand on its own. Uh, and it definitely has some characteristics about it that are unique to it. Uh, and you know, I, I liked a lot of the, I liked a lot of the writing in this, not all of it. Um, it did have definitely had some weak, weak points to it, but overall I thought it was enjoyable. I didn't hate it. And, uh, yeah, those are my thoughts. Okay. Well, um, I guess I'll go next and say that halfway through this movie, I had to check and make sure I hadn't put in the original movie instead. Um, Okay, okay. Look, I did not hate this movie. I did not hate this movie by any stretch of the imagination. But it, like, there's certain parts of it that really feels like, okay, we're just doing this again. We're just doing this particular thing again. And I think they do do some really interesting things. There's obviously some, a lot of new elements. There's new characters. But a lot of it is 
just a retread. I'm sorry, it is kind of that classic sequel thing. And I'm not saying it's bad because of that. I'm just saying that it is egregious at times. Um, you know, I, I did enjoy it. Like, I, I, I probably enjoyed it as much as I did the first one, maybe. Maybe a little bit less. But it is, I don't know, it, it is a, it's a movie that I don't think... Like, the biggest thing, and I'll, I'll throw this out there as my, like, biggest compliment of the movie is, like, they start five years later, which I just learned, like, in real time, is actually five years later. Like, they, they waited five years and they this movie yeah. came out. Um, so that's, like, a real thing, even though I was sitting, watching this movie going, like, are they really gonna make, trying to make us believe that this was five years? Like, no, mm-hmm. clearly no one has aged. This is just a year later. You know, this is no big deal. Um, I did not believe it. And I, I, I was in disbelief when I found out that, oh yeah, by the way, this is actually, like, legit five years later. So, you know, it's real time for the actors and everything, too, and the people that were watching this movie back in the day. So, I think... Doing that and and kind of setting it up as oh the Ghostbusters are broken up they they're discredited they're not at the top of their game anymore I thought that was really interesting and then about what thirty minutes into the movie they just bring it all back <laughs> and just get rid of that and I was like oh wow that was a really interesting element they just threw away and now we're back to being the way it was and I don't know I think that was that was probably a little bit of disappointment to me and you know I don't know it's it's not a bad movie. It's just, it, it is a just a a straight up just a, a Ghostbusters again. That's what I'm calling this movie, Ghostbusters again. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying to like refute your claims because I will agree to a certain extent that there are certain overarching tropes that seem to have been repeated. But I'm I'm curious what you what you mean by. I was watching this and a half hour into it, I thought I had watched the same film because like the first five or 10 minutes are like the guys going to a a birthday party and being made fun of as has-beens. And then like also in there, you've got Sigourney Weaver's baby going crazy. Um, (laughs) Like, like just rolling off into the street. Whereas in the previous movie, she didn't even have a baby so like yeah there, there there are some pretty key components pretty early on in the film that let you know that they are not the same people that they were in the previous film that there has been some some growth there's been some change there's been some life alterations that have happened since we last saw them like i think that was a really good tonal shift to let you know this isn't the same movie and, and and you're right and and maybe maybe some of my criticisms are are dumb i'm just gonna throw that out there too but <laughs> um i think i think this movie like any sequel like say the force awakens that movie gets a lot of crap for being repetitious and doing different things and it absolutely deserves some of that but i think it also doesn't get enough credit for the amount of stuff that it gets right in it and the new stuff that it introduces and I think you could probably say something similar about this movie because this is, as I said, like the strongest element of this movie is the fact that it's it's five years later, stuff's happened, they're not, it's not just picking up like a usual sequel of like, oh, they're at the top of their game and you're going to knock them back down again. It starts with they're not in this. They're not in the game anymore. They're, 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 all, they're all split all up. Ready. 
down. Yeah. And I was I was surprised by that. I was like, okay, Winston and Ray, like they're off, like still trying to keep it together, but obviously not doing Ghostbuster stuff. They're just going to birthday parties, which is funny. And <laughs> but like you know, Egon's off over here. Um, you know, uh, Vinkman is off doing a TV show. Like they're they're setting it up that these characters not only are not Ghostbusters anymore, they're not even really friends anymore. They're not like hanging out together. They're just apart, which is really intriguing. Like it's a, it's an interesting thing. Um, and I think the best sequels and the best movies come in to it, and it's not the start of the story. Is you're coming in partway through. The story has been going on. They're, these are real people that live in a real world, and stuff's been happening, and you're just catching up with them right now in this moment, and you got to get caught up on what's going on and whatever. So, you know, it's five years, a lot's happened, and that's really strong storytelling. And here I am. I was trashing the movie a minute ago. You got me to praise it, so here we go. And <laughs> so, so look how the tables have turned. So, like, I think this movie does have a lot of good qualities. There's a lot of good funny moments and, you know, there's a lot of good changes, I think, that they do well. Um, I just wish it – I wish it had gone – because, like, the, I think the third act is the most, like, oh, well, uh, you know, it's <laughs> – it's she's in the building, and they got to go save her, and they got to go take down a god. That's, that's, that's basically this, <laughs> the, the first movie all over again. That was the, kind of the most egregious, like, oh, this is the movie over again. Like, that was the thing. I think maybe the rest of the movie doesn't deserve that kind of criticism, but is the ending that kind of stuck in my head of, oh, crap, like, this is, you know, they're really not thinking too outside the box with this. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. There there, there were some, some components that's like, wait a second, haven't we seen this before? Particularly the whole going and talking to the mayor and and wanted to find a way to like save the city again um but you know we've already saved the city and we've been sued for it so why would we want to come back and do it all over again like right that 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 component was uh, a little weird i i do think it was it was funny that they incorporated the the swing music in the gelatin to to be able to actually create movement inside a structure as large as the Statue of Liberty, like mm-hmm. like that. I know that's kind of spoilerish, but come on, the movie came out in 1989, folks. Go watch it. Um, I like that is so zany and weird and out there and improbable that it's like they had a lot more awareness the writers did had a lot more awareness of their situation and what kind of audience they were appealing to and they just took it in stride and ran with it and i mm-hmm. think i think that's one of the biggest differences between the the first movie and this movie is i don't think they were necessarily trying to recreate a classic so much as they were trying to show their next adventure and as they were doing it in such uh, a, a creative and crazy and out there way it actually made the movie a little bit more enjoyable because you're aware as much as the writers are of how crazy the storyline is and I think that that whole Statue of Liberty sequence kind of personifies 
what I love the most about this franchise and this movie is the fact that it absolutely does not take itself too seriously. It absolutely just takes it takes the ridiculousness of oh it's these firefighter looking dudes going around the city busting ghosts and takes mm-hmm. that and just takes it and runs with the ridiculousness. And I think that's something that you know people I don't know, especially today, people are like, "Oh, it's got to be serious. You got to have it's got to be dark and gritty." No, that's not fun. <laughs> no, and movies like, are fun because they're ridiculous. The the best movies yeah. are absurd. Some of, some of my favorite movies are the likes of Zombies and Sharknado. Like it's exactly. so it's so bad and crazy and out there that you just have fun with it. People love Star Wars, and they love to put it up on this pedestal as this, you know, realistic sci-fi fantasy thing. Star Wars is freaking bonkers. Have you even watched those movies? <laughs> it's freaking crazy. Indiana Jones is just cr- insanity. Like, the stuff that happens in those movies. Watch Temple of Doom. Like, they jump out of an airplane onto a raft, down a slope, and into a river. That movie is just <laughs> insanity. Um, and that's why we love it. It's funny that you mentioned Indiana Jones. Um, Indiana Jones, the the franchise, was actually one of the largest competitors with Ghostbusters 2 as far as um, revenue in theaters is concerned. Oh, there was an oh, wow. Indiana Jones film that came out the same year as Ghostbusters 2, and it did really, really well. Wow. Dang. That's so crazy. let me let me let me let me tell you a, a few of the movies that Ghostbusters 2 was in competition with. Um, in 1989, this this movie came out the same year as The Little Mermaid. Oh wow! Came out the same year as Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Rick Moranis again. Moranis, pretty good year, yeah. Uh, same uh same year as Lethal Weapon Two. Wow. Same year as Robin Williams' Dead Poet Society. Out the same year as Back to the Future Part Two. Oh dang! Came out the same year as Michael Keaton's Batman. Oh dang! Wow! And the highest-grossing film of the year worldwide was a little film we like to call Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yep. <laughs> there you go. So this movie finished eighth. It it finished eighth in top grossing worldwide, which still isn't a bad showing considering the competition. But I mean, it only netted two hundred and fifteen million. When uh, I'm trying to see what its budget was. Oh, where was the budget? Why isn't the budget showing? It's not showing on. Hmm, where did it go? Budget was about forty million. So if the budget was about 40 and you're probably putting at least that much in advertising and merchandising, it was about 80 million put into it and they got to 15. Well, I heard some places and it's, and it makes sense that even like the creators like uh, were admitting that they waited 5 years to make yeah. this movie and that may have impacted you know, you know the the staying power of this franchise and just the whole overall, you know, because I mean, let's face it, this is before the internet. Like, 
you know, memes and stuff keep movies alive pretty easily. You know, yep. and and all, on top of that, home video, which also really wasn't a thing back when this movie first came out. Um, yep. So, you know, you can imagine that, you know, I think they did try to keep it alive. They had the real Ghostbusters, which was a, it was a TV show um, for a while. Yeah, and, that's the thing. That's another thing I want to talk about tonight, because that's a, that's an interesting thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have never seen it, but I've heard so much about it. I mean, I didn't want to interrupt your thought. I just was like, yeah, let's talk about that at some point. No. We don't necessarily have to talk about it right No, we can now. talk about it now. I'm cool with that. Let's let's get I, into it. That, that yeah, video I, you sent, Ben. I saw that awesome. video that you, that you forwarded to us this afternoon, and it talks a lot about some of the stuff that happened between these two films. There is a sort of Ghostbusters canon, if you will, where they basically took some of the stuff that happened between the first movie and the second movie – and took those four guys on some adventures that happened over the course of a, what, two or three season animated franchise and a uh, computer game. That I think it up. was like, I think it ran for like 10 years, I think. Did it? I, I don't I, know. It, 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 went on, it went on for a good bit, but I thought, can I use Seven seasons. Seven seasons. So this was still going on when that movie came out. It started in 1986, ran through 91. So it was it was happening concurrently with this second film. Right. And the video that I sent you guys, they talk about in that thing, and maybe I'll try to link it in the description of this episode, but um, basically that the real Ghostbusters kind of kept the franchise alive for a while, so much so that they knew that kids would be attracted to... Ghostbusters 2 even more so than the first one because of the real Ghostbusters so they catered to that thing like they changed certain elements um, and made it more like the cartoon and even brought back Slimer who wasn't I think originally going to be in the movie but he he's like a main character in the animated series so they brought him back and so it, it really, really is the kind of I don't know first probably one of the first instances of like a shared universe between like a animated show and a and a and a movie, because like you know not a lot of stuff that stuff was like happening way back in the day. Like you know you kind of had cartoons they were really knockoffs, but apparently this was like a really good cartoon that kids loved, and they were really like okay we're gonna cater to this audience. Mm-hmm. But what's funny is they had to call themselves the real Ghostbusters because there was another animated show at the time called. Ghostbusters. They were trying to like capitalize off of the popularity of Ghostbusters, this mm-hmm. franchise, and but it was a pre-existing one that like nobody knew about or whatever. It was like a live-action show, and they did their own cartoon, and they had the the rights to the name. So the real Ghostbusters had to come along and create the real Ghostbusters to differentiate themselves. It's like, uh, you know, it's like people on Twitter now. It's like the real so-and-so because someone else took my name. Yeah, yeah. Well, and what's funny is is the the other TV show that isn't part of this universe, it had like a gorilla as one of the main characters. Right. And... Mm. And didn't they say that at one point people who were confused started getting upset because they thought that the gorilla represented Ernie Hudson? Oh, oh my gosh, no. yeah. That's, that's I think I saw that. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, this just went south really quickly. That's not good. Oh, oh man, that's, uh, that is messed up. 
That is messed yeah, I, up. It did that. That did not. That did not go well. Um, but I think I think it's interesting that it was an animated show, as you said, Ben. That I guess kind of helped keep the franchise going even during that five year movie absence. So much so that, like you said, they included pieces of the story like Slimer and even something as detailed as. Um, Janine getting a completely new look based on the way that her character dresses in the animated series. Right. Mm-hmm. That's... Like, like Annie Potts got a completely new outfit and a new hairdo and glasses and all this stuff that made her look like Janine from the animated series. Because they knew like kids needed to recognize her and like connect with that thing and just added a little bit more continuity between the two. I don't know if like, officially, the animated show is, like, canon to the movies. Probably not, but it's still, like, it was in consideration for the movie, for the development of the movie, which is, yeah. you know, pretty unheard of. Well, it's it's canon enough that you're incorporating those pieces in it so that the kids recognize what's going on in the film. Right, right. And they, and they were doing certain things, and they even, like, went so far as to make the movie less scary because it was, you know, they, they knew more kids would be into it. And, and the first movie is kind of, you know, risque in certain places, especially a certain scene we mm-hmm. talked about last week. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're, they're, they were trying to appeal to a wider audience and, and, and knew kind of knew the audience they were getting, you know, getting into this. So, yeah. you know, that was it, an interesting it part of it. a little more. It did seem a little more kid friendly, I thought, and well, maybe rightfully so. Some of the yeah. some of the trivia that I read was that it was intentionally created that way. Um, that a lot of the other ghosts that you see in the film are more cartoony and zany in nature, rather than the the spooky, scary, grotesque ones that we saw in the previous film, um, with the exception of Vigo, of course. Like, mm-hmm. like Vigo's supposed to be the intimidating one because he's the villain. But, I mean, you look at the brothers in the courtroom. You look at the, the ghost that's out for a jog and gets trapped. You look at Slimer. You know, there's there's a lot of other ghosts out there that are more comedically inclined. Um, I, think, I think for me, and you guys can either back me up or, or shoot me down on this, but I, one of the most chilling moments for me was one of the sequences towards the end where the Titanic shows up and oh, the yeah. Titanic start disembarking and making their way onto Manhattan. That was like, oh my gosh. That that was brilliant. I love that little I you know, really liked it. And and from the trivia that I read, they the the the, the ghost Titanic actually landed at the same pier that the actual titanic was destined for before it sank yeah they're like oh i guess better late than never yeah that's that's what they mean by literally better late than never it went to the exact pier that it was scheduled to show up at uh before it sank yeah and it's funny it's funny like just a few years before that i think it was in 1985 when they discovered the wreck of the titanic because it was what was that some 18 something when it, it sank, or I mean, I'm going a bit too far back. It was a, a number of years where it sank, and they didn't know where it was, and then they finally found it again. Um, so it was kind of fresh in everyone's minds, I guess, probably at that point. And 
<laughs> Who was it? Cheech in there? It was like, oh man, mm-hmm. the, the Titanic just came in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but they had like some some different uh kind of ghosts, like less scary ghosts, like the uh the runner, you know, they kinda used that as an example and I I really liked the I forget what their names were, the oh, the Scalari brothers, the guys yeah. in the the electric chairs. I thought those were cool. <laughs> I liked that whole courtroom scene. I really did. It's a really like, great scene. I, I like the, that. I think I think that may be in That's my it's it's in my top three favorite courtroom scenes of all time. <laughs> it, what it's are your it's other it's uh, go ahead. Uh, well, my my first one is the original Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. I knew it. Where where they give the judge all of those letters addressed to Santa Claus, and he has to push them off of his desk, and he goes, "Since a branch of the United States government believes this man to be Santa Claus, this court will not dispute it." case dismissed just the letters just keep piling up mm -hmm. like they find a way to prove that he's actually santa claus while the man keeps his reputation like it's very clever and creative wording and it's it's just it's really fun um dang it i had another one i had three what was the other one oh oh the the scene in the dark night where like all the monsters are being tried for racketeering and stuff all at once and the judge is looking at this this farce of a courtroom where she's like, how do the defendants plead? And like all 300-something of the mobsters start pleading their cases all at once. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about this scene is the uh, just like – because it's this whole buildup of this just biggest a-hole – judge you can possibly oh gosh, imagine yeah. like he's such just so insufferable just like he just hates something he's like oh i don't believe in ghosts or whatever and then having that happen is just so satisfying and like they get him is like you gotta dismiss the case like we, we can't do anything about it like we're what is it egon's line says why don't you just tell him you don't believe in ghosts yeah that's my favorite line in the whole thing i think <laughs> so good and and then they proceed to destroy the whole courtroom yeah it's great okay one question about that scene where is Winston? Why is he not there? That's a good question. I thought the same thing. I was like, why the heck? I mean, do, I mean, does he have something else better to do? I mean, one plus to this movie is that he does have a bigger role, and he does have like a like he's there from the beginning, like literally, but like he's absent from that scene. I was like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. Like he should be there. He was one of the Ghostbusters that helped destroy New York. Yeah, he was he was a part of that, and yet I don't know, I don't know. Maybe that maybe that's a question that we asked Joey because I think he's listening right now. He keeps saying that he can't listen, but then when we started talking about the Scolari brothers, he like chimes in in the chat. So I don't know, but he poses <laughs> he poses us this question in the chat, and uh, this is this is one that we can hash out perhaps. Uh, he says, "Here's an important question: Is Ghostbusters two a Christmas movie?" Ooh. I. I say no. I can't remember. There's there's like an official criteria that I heard that I really liked about Christmas movies and what makes a Christmas movie and what makes it not. There's not enough Christmas in there. It just kind of takes place at Christmas, yeah. and it doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. It's kind of like Die Hard. Like right. die, people dude, love Die Hard. Right. Dude, that's literally what I said in the chat. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was thinking it. Go and look at the Channel 11. I look. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. Here's an important question. Is Ghostbusters 2 a Christmas movie? My <laughs> reply is about as much as Die Hard is. In a word, no. <laughs> then we are in agreement then. <laughs> oh, it's like that weird wavelength thing. We've been doing this together for too long. <laughs> it's just weird. We're mind melding now. Can't stop it. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of had to remember back to like, okay, what? What was actually Christmassy in this movie? Like they wear Santa hats at the finale, and the big fight scene happens on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Okay. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's yeah. You're right. That's that's and there's a whole thing about you know the world ending on New Year's. Um, so I knew it was leading up to that. Psychic guy never got the satisfaction that the world was actually ending on New Year's. Yeah. And it's funny the guy that was interviewing him literally stopped the apocalypse. That's kind of unfair. Right? I mean, that that's a whole other thing. Like, how did Venkman end up on a quack show like that? Well, see, I thought it was a pretty good callback to the line that Dana has in the first one where she's like, you don't seem like an exterminator. You're more like a game show host. Yeah. Yeah, Bill Murray would make a great, like, game show host. Oh, yeah. Because and you'd I... have to have that right amount of sass, like that Steve Harvey level of, like... You stupid ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Bill Murray can turn that on. Poor. I don't know. That's one of the things. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Y'all have seen that, right? <laughs> the, the episode of, of Family Feud where Harvey is asking people to name stuff that starts with the word pork. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one. I remember it. Oh, that's pork. so good. Uh, pork coupon. Pork coupon. I mean, he's not wrong. Like, at that point, you're like, okay, you've got a valid point here. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, it gets me every time because I read some of the behind the scenes stuff from that where they literally had to stop filming, look over to that guy, and it's like, I guarantee you it's not on there. Pick something else. <laughs> and he's like, nah, it's up there. And it usually just results in Steve Harvey just just staring off into nothingness for like ten minutes. He doesn't say anything. It's just like, oh my god. I could see Bill Murray doing that. Oh yeah, he absolutely would. Especially during those types of interviews. Oh my gosh. But uh, yeah, so very realistic putting Vinkman as a TV talk show host. I, I liked it. It was one of the, the funnier things where I was like, yeah, that's, that seems like a natural progression in universe of where Vinkman would end up, you know, if he was kind of disenfranchised by the whole Ghostbusters thing. Yeah, I like that a lot. And I, I think I think where all these characters kind of end up and and it's very, you know, you have there's a lot of good kind of foreshadowing there with, you know, Vinkman's interviewing these guys and you know, talking about the end of the world. And Valentine's Day, bummer. I'd seen that meme a thousand times. Finally, finally, actually saw it in uh, in in the flash now. And then Egon's like practicing on people's emotions, <laughs> which plays right into later. But like he's like, oh yeah, we've got these people trapped in this room. It's husband and wife. We promise them wait thirty more minutes to see the see the psychiatrist, and we're turning up the heat. <laughs> <laughs> like 95 degrees in there it's like we're asking them to wait like even longer like, oh like my. lab rats in there oh my gosh that was drag in New York just to get down to a, a, a pneumatic system where there's a, a river 
of living slime. What did what did you guys make of all that? Because I got I got some Doctor Who vibes from that sequence. If I'm being honest, yeah, I can it does see feel that. very Doctor Who. Does that remind you of that. anything in particular? Just like the vibe of it, the Satan Pit. Oh yeah! Oh man! What an episode that was. Where where the where David Tennant's Doctor got dropped down into the Satan Pit. That's what. Yep. Reminds. Yeah, that's that's a good comparison. Also. Yeah, I really liked the whole, like, just digging a hole down. I Yeah, I really liked the digging a hole down and just finding this, like, room that's been abandoned for years, you know, since the 1800s. And I visually love the slime. Like, I don't know why so much. I, I just love it. Well, it, it's funny because that, that video that you were talking about earlier that, that Ben sent to us, it, it kind of talked about how there were different types and consistencies of slime based on the situation yeah yep. so like one version had a different kind of consistency and then the one that they had in some of the beakers back in the lab had a different consistency and they like alternated and flipped it around using different versions in order to uh use it for whatever their purpose was for that scene yeah, well, like, it, the river, the giant river was less uh, transparent, more lava-like, I would say, and then the yep, the one, right. the ones in the jars, like in the courtroom, was more transparent. It was, and it, it looked a little bit more like jello, almost. Yeah, yep. Whereas right. the other stuff was very active and flowing, like you said, almost lava-like, which yeah, they interesting because... I just watched an episode of The Floor is Lava not too long ago. That new <laughs> Netflix game show. Oh it, yeah. Is it, it fun? It's it's really it's really weird. It's like an escape room meets wipeout. That sounds oh fun. Yeah. It's like you've, you've check got, it out. you've got a certain amount of time to, to get through this obstacle course, but if you slip and fall on the obstacle course, then your team loses points because you didn't get the whole team across. Oh. Oh wow. But whoever gets that. their team across in the shortest amount of time with the most possible points wins $10,000. Damn. Sounds worth it. So I'm thinking maybe we figure out where they're recording and try and do like a team IPC or something. For the yeah. <laughs> it was, edition. It was really weird. The way that they shot it, um, if, if, a, if a character fell into the lava, then they didn't resurface. So it looked like their character, quote unquote, died whenever they fell into the lava. <laughs> That's hilarious. It was, wow, it was that's kind of dark. It's kind of dark. Where can you watch that? It's on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. Really? Okay. That's Because I heard I gotta, of it, I but I, I guess I'll have to check it out. So, We've all played the floor of lava at some point in our lives. Oh, You're everybody the has. the floor is slime. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. That's pretty accurate. Except for Except for when... They're using the slime to make the Statue of Liberty move. That's a little weird. Here's another thing that doesn't make a lot of sense. I think uh, who falls in? Egon. He falls into the to the slime, and then and then the other two, just without knowing what effect the slime is going to have on them, just jump in. It's, as a, well. it's a very Three Musketeers vibe. It's like. Yeah, yeah. Like we're we're all gonna get slimed or nobody gets slimed. It's like one of those movie things where like 
real people would be too scared to do that. But like, since they're like, they're like they know nothing's gonna happen, so they just jump in. You know, <laughs> I mean, you don't know if Winston is dead. Like, he he could be dead, <laughs> or he could be dying. <laughs> like, you're just gonna jump in there. Well, I mean, if he is dying, then you gotta try and save him, I guess. Yeah, but you could die too. You could die too. Oh, okay, but if they all do fall in and they all die, then the movie just ends that much quicker. Roll credits. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so Joey is continuing to be in the chat here, and he answered an earlier question that I had about Winston in the, in the courthouse. Um, and he says, quote, Winston is in the beginning of the courtroom scene. The scene was changed and reshot a few times, and unfortunately his role never became prominent. They ended up trying to mirror the ballroom scene from Ghostbusters 1. So well, That's uh, what GB1 stands for. I was thinking Great Britain, and I was like, <laughs> that... Wow. Great Britain 1. Well, I mean, like, when you're doing when you're doing soccer scores, that's kind of what it looks like. GB1, USA 0 kind of thing. Well, GB, as a abbreviation of Ghostbusters, doesn't make sense, because Ghostbusters is one word. All one word. <laughs> G1. So you call it G1. Get nah. it right, Joey. No, that sounds like something else. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Oh goodness gracious! Uh, okay, well, okay. Do you guys remember the Inspector Gadget franchise? Absolutely. One of the best theme songs ever. It sounds a lot like Ghostbusters. If you if you stop it, it does. Time. I never thought yeah. about that. But um, in the second movie with French Stewart, they call themselves G1 and G2 because there's Gadget One and Gadget Two. Oh yeah. Man, I uh, those movies are not not that great. I I like I was a fan of the the cartoon. Um, with uh, I forget who played his voice, but it was just like the best voice ever. Oh well, I'm glad you remembered all that, Jake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was really worth saying all of that. Meanwhile, I could probably quote Inspector Gadget two word for word if I try it hard enough. I've watched that for the first time not too long ago, maybe like a year ago, and wasn't impressed it's like a solid four out of ten stars but my brother thinks it's hilarious and so we watched it a lot <laughs> there were some moments i like the first one better yeah well, yeah it's okay but i we... prefer matthew broderick and renee aubergeonois more than french stewart so i mm, forgot like... all about matthew broderick as Spe- inspector gadget yeah, for, this I, is something I, I, like it's. This is 1999. Like this is my peak 90s childhood. I, I remember I, this. I remember I the like Happy Meal. Broderick this. wants to forget about Matthew Broderick as Inspector Gadget. <laughs> I think the world wants to forget Matthew Broderick. Wow. No, he was Simba on The Lion King. I will never forget Matthew Broderick. <laughs> Plus, he's like a big time Broadway star now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Him and Nathan Lyon are like. Yeah. They're doing, wow. they're, doing, they're, doing a, they're doing a lot of stuff on the big stage, so yeah. good, good for him. No, I have nothing against Matthew Broderick. But... How did we get on Matthew Broderick talking about Ghostbusters? That's why Matthew Broderick should have been in Ghostbusters. All aboard! <laughs> oh boy, that was dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Is this a good place to take a break? Yeah, it might as well be. A, we'll, a Broderick we'll, break. We can, we can, <laughs> yeah, we can take a break, hit the reset button on some of the things that we liked and didn't like when we come back. 
We're going to say hello to some of our friends and patrons and all that good stuff. And uh, we'll come back with the highs and lows of Ghostbusters 2 when we continue this discussion on the IPC podcast. Don't go anywhere. This is IPC. What's up, IPC? Sorry I couldn't be there to discuss Ghostbusters 2, one of my favorite movies of all time. But I did want to stop by just for a few minutes here and give uh, my dissection and comments on the sequel to my favorite movie of all time. I enjoyed it um, taking place in the same uh, time period, same universe, you know, five years later. That's all great. Love it. I enjoy the opening with the uh, the slime oozing out of the crack. I think that sets up things nicely. We get to see uh, Sigourney Weaver's Dana Barrett back. And, oh my goodness, she now has a kid. And there's a lot going on there. You get to see um, the uh, negative attitudes that percolate throughout New York, which is just kind of a bit of an illusion towards uh, kind of the main plot of the film, about there being uh, so much bad vibes, bad energy, that it is becoming a... Um, ectoplasmic sludge under the city and we get to see the reasons for that based on Vigo the Carpathian who I think is an excellent villain uh, for the Ghostbusters. I know there were some uh, disappointments about the Ghostbusters the original movie uh, the, 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 the antagonist, the, the, the big bad the evil maybe wasn't as interesting or well formed as many had hoped but I think Vigo comes off a little bit better. Um, Hornberg, Von Hornberg, who uh, um, is the body for Vigo, I think is imposing. I think it's well done. We already talked about uh, Max Moncito providing the voice, the voiceover. I think that's well done as well. I enjoy the character. I think it's imposing. I think it's intimidating. And I think uh, it gets the job done for sure. I like that we get the return of all the, the main players, uh, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, I already mentioned Sigourney Weaver, but Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, Rick Moranis, Annie Potts, you know, all those guys are back. The addition of Peter McNichols' um, character is, is excellent. I, I like the sidekick, the, the bumbling sidekick for the big bad, and I like that he's possessed. It's just an added element of that supernatural horror genre, which is a lot of fun, and... Uh, uh, a lot comes back, you know, you still get the iconography, you got the firehouse, you got the the ecto, which is souped up, and I've said, like, I know some people like the original because, well, everyone likes the OG of pretty much everything, but there's just something about, like, the over-the-top and outlandish uh, additional lights and, and light boards and everything that I, I do really, really enjoy. Uh, we get some new equipment, specifically with the slime blower, which is absolutely amazing. I love that, that they just kind of counteract the the bad slime with the positive slime, all very well done. Um, you know, one 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 negative that always comes up, and it, it didn't bother me growing up or watching the movie, but I do think that it's kind of an odd thing that they decided to come up with a different logo for the sequel, which is great for promotional things. But why are they using it in universe? It's just kind of a, a little odd, a little strange. But you know, it, it worked at the time. You just got to suspend yourself a little bit. But 
Um, overall, I very much enjoy this movie. I know there's a subset of groups out there, and especially some film critics that think it's just a complete rehash of the original, um, that there's no creativity, no originality. And I know uh, that at least Bill Murray's on record of not being a fan of wanting to do it and almost basically being forced to do it. Uh, I, I think all of them do a very good job of acting. I don't think anyone phoned it in, even if uh, Bill Murray wants you to think that. Um, but I, I, th I think it's fun. I think it's well done, and I very much enjoy it. I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys all have to say about it. So, uh, yeah, that pretty much sums up my thoughts. Wish I could have been there, but hopefully this works instead. Thanks, guys. That was our friend and our patron, Mr. Joey Mays. We had him on for the regular episode, like at the, the first Ghostbusters last week, and wanted to have him on for this episode, but he couldn't make it because he had family obligations. <laughs> whatever, Joey. No, I, we're, we're glad to have him on in whatever capacity, and we're also super thankful for his patronage. He's been a longtime supporter of this program, and if you're interested in becoming a patron, you can do so at patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast. We've got other uh, financial supporters as well, such as Ryan H1152, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, and Carrie Fleming. We're very grateful for all of them. They help uh, keep the lights on, if you will, to make sure that we keep our subscription to Podbean as well as any other miscellaneous expenses that might come up. But if you're interested in becoming a supporter and having top billing on our top five episodes even sponsoring some of those top five episodes, having access to our special RIPC, our R-rated podcast extension program that's part of the Phantom Empire. Uh, you want to have access to our entire library of episodes, all 290-something episodes, then uh, you can do so by joining us online. Just check out patron.podbean.com slash IPC podcast. Heck yeah. All right, let's 
talk about some of the lowlights that happened in this movie. There were a few of them. We kind of touched base on them a little bit already. But let's let's get into some of the nitty-gritty of some of the stuff that maybe we didn't care for. And Ben, I feel like you should be the one to lead us off on that one. <laughs> of course, because I'm the negative Nancy of the evening. Um, last week, buddy, so I'm just feeding it back to you. It's just, it's just, it goes around, comes around, I suppose. Um, I'm probably going to go back to, like, there's no, like, one moment that I, like, hated. I don't think there's any, like, really terrible moments in this movie, like, despite my bashing it constantly. Um, I, I don't think it's that bad, but it's the moment when they're walking up the stairs to the, to, to try to get into the, the, uh, the museum. And, and they all pull out their, you know, their blasters, and I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> this is the same movie over again. Come on. <laughs> this is the same thing that happened the last movie. I know it's foreshadowing. I know it's mirroring. I know it's intentional. But it was a bit on the nose, just a bit. And it was one movie, it was it was one moment that kind of made me roll my eyes just a bit, even though it was a fun sequence. And it led to the Statue of Liberty, which was, I think, really great and probably one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen in a movie but that that's I I mean that in a good way uh Jake what about you man well for me the low lights were mostly in like centered around uh Dr. Janos uh his his character just really kind of annoyed me and creeped me out he was creepy before he became possessed and then after it was just even weirder and i don't understand for the life of me how he was a ghost for a second while he had like the the baby carriage and just floating through the air made no sense i was like what even is this because he's not dead right but he's a ghost there he's glowing blue didn't make a whole lot of sense to me um yeah he was just kind of creepy and was i guess kind of what what uh uh what's his name lewis tolly's character kind of was in the first one except you know not really that well done um that was my interpretation at least but uh yeah this was completely inhabited this guy was just being manipulated the sequence i kind of treated as like an out-of-body experience that brought him closer to being part of the spirit world as opposed to part of the human world Mm -hmm. but uh, like it seemed more like he was a a minion if you will or or i don't know what what's another word for minion a puppet he was he was a bit of a puppet yeah yeah and and he was he was just kind of working for Vigo rather than being the the uh vessel for Vigo the way Lewis was in the previous movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, there's characters like the judge and Hardemeyer who's always always trying to to put the the Ghostbusters away and shut them up and and uh invalidate them and it's it's just like annoying to me because it's like wasn't it obvious what happened five years ago with all the ghosts like did you not see the the stape of marshmallow man did you not see the the clouds swirling above that one building and and uh you know various reports of demonic dogs running around or whatever it it didn't make a whole lot of sense that all of a sudden people just forget and 
not only do they forget, but they're like vehemently against any anybody talking about ghosts. And the well, ghost you got to remember though, Jake. This is 1989. They didn't have Twitter then. Nobody remembered anything before oh Twitter. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, guess what? There's newspapers. There's the news. Uh, there's. There was no cameras, no smartphones. Nobody could just take oh. a picture of it. Well, you know what? People found out about stuff some way, and one way or another, and it was slower, sure, but they would have known. I, I stand by that. There would have been a picture of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man on the front of the New York Times, but I. I also this is kind of a small nitpick, but the the whole Ghostbusters two logo and the fact that they like put it on their uniforms, like what does that even mean to them or people? Does that mean like okay, we're doing this again a second time? I don't get that really. I understand it as the the logo for the movie itself, but as like an in universe thing, kind of didn't make sense to me because they had been ghost busting. Uh, pretty recently you know it was just kind of like that like they were they had the original logo and then all of a sudden they're doing the ghostbuster 2 logo didn't make a lot of sense to me but, but didn't, yeah, they, like, didn't they get sued for some of the damages that happened in new york and that's why the company had to close down i think so that makes sense yeah because uh, they they talk about in the front of the movie that they caught all the brunt from you know all the damage to this to the building everything like that and they got sued for it and that's why they had to go out of business like immediately so maybe Ghostbusters 2 is like a way to get around like copyright. Like, for example, the real Ghostbusters, it was a way to get around copyright infringement stuff. Maybe they're like, no, we're not Ghostbusters. We're Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. Or it's just like, we're back, you know, because I don't think it said they said anything like Ghostbusters 2 in the commercials and stuff that they did. But everybody, everybody knew that it was like just painting the rose a different color. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's a good logo, like the ghost holding up two fingers. If I'm being honest, like if I was to do a cosplay, I'd want to wear the navy jumpsuits and not the gray ones. Oh, no way. Yeah, man. I do like those. To each his own. To each his own. I suppose. Uh, Maybe I'm just biased because I enjoyed this movie more. Uh, (laughs) I can genuinely not believe that you enjoyed this movie more. I'm in disbelief. <laughs> I really did, dude. Like, I think the comedic timing was was more on point than the last movie was. I feel like the characters came into their own and were a lot more believable than they were in the previous film. I feel like the action sequences were more on the spot as opposed to when you're in the ballroom and you're like, oh, guys, one important thing don't cross the streams uh, like <laughs> i'm still mad about that line he didn't say it exactly like that he didn't say don't cross the streams <laughs> that's a classic egon spangler line yeah that's exactly how spangler sounded when he said that don't cross the streams like, no. <laughs> i mean the the everything like all the important stuff seemed to be more in stride the way that they tried to solve the problems the people that were confronting them seemed more bought into this world the whole the whole world building just felt a little bit sturdier because of the way that things went with the company shutting down with dana moving on with you know 
Venkman moving on to to a, a, a different type of career path, trying to be something completely different from the Ghostbusters that he used to be part of. Uh, even even somebody like Janine getting the new hairdo and kind of getting a new storyline. Um, you know, there there were just different components that made it feel like a more cohesive story. Now, the one area that I am going to complain about, if I had to pick a low light, my low light, this is going to be a little out there, but hear me out, <laughs> my low light would be Oscar. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I was not a fan of the Oscar-centric storyline. Like, as soon as we saw the baby at the beginning of the movie... I was sitting there instantly going, okay, that baby's going to become important because he didn't exist five years ago, and now he exists, which means they need him for something in this story. Yeah. And then, lo and behold, they need him to become the vessel of Vigo. They they need a child for this spirit living in a painting to inhabit, and he becomes like the central focus the Ghostbusters are trying to save him. Janos is trying to kidnap him. Dana is trying to protect him. Vigo is trying to inhabit him. Oscar becomes such a center character, and all he does is poop and cry. <laughs> He's essentially the star of this movie. They, yeah. they, they literally try and get like a, a fecal sample from him at one point. They're like, oh, yeah, you need to extract the doo-doo from the kid. <laughs> like that part i didn't and, and bill murray i think that was just a bill murray like that was total bill murray improv like all... yeah he, he's like i ain't doing this yeah. i ain't no way you do it yeah exactly total bill murray <laughs> improv and i enjoyed that like that type of improv seemed to hit home with me a little better than the stuff that he did in the previous film like even even murray seemed to be more invested in this role than he was in the last movie to me I, I i feel like he was more bought in in this film for whatever reason yeah. so i i don't know i think i think there were just components of of the world and the lore and the storytelling and the action and the character development like just different components about it that all seemed to mesh together a little bit better than the last one did Fair enough. And I think I think this movie does deserve a lot of credit for trying to push boundaries wherever it could and doing some new and interesting things. And yeah, even though maybe the baby plot slash subplot slash like starring in the movie, maybe not the most interesting thing they could have done, like it still like it's something new something that we hadn't seen before mm-hmm. and so you know i appreciate them them trying to do that and you know it, it is you know it's it's something that i don't know I, I think there is a lot of good stuff in this movie now that i think about it now that upon further review upon listening to some people actually talk about it which which is what i enjoy about this movie because and what i enjoy about this podcast is because sometimes i my opinion changes. You know, you're allowed to change your opinion a couple times, sometimes. Well, you and are. Nice. Yeah. I, I didn't know that either until I started doing this. And uh, you can actually have different opinions and change your opinion about something. And my opinion is changing. Well, I'm, that makes me much less scared to share my opinion online. Uh, you should still be scared, Jake. Oh, darn it. <laughs> 
we should all be very scared. Uh, but but let let's talk about highlights then, Ben. If if you're if you're finding some of the stuff that's hitting its stride, what was what was one of your favorite parts of this film? Ooh, I did like a lot of the catching up at the first part of the movie. You know, the whole just like establishing that things are very different, and you know, establishing that you know we're. We're, it's five years later, and like I said, I didn't really believe it was five years later. I didn't really, I didn't realize that it actually was literally five years in real time that we'd seen these characters. It had only been a week from me, so you know, um, so getting to that, I think, I liked the whole thing, and them coming back together, I think, was was great and really satisfying, and, and it gave you enough to kind of go off of, and you know, you're continually. You know, seeing those characters apart, I think obviously you're going into this going, like, oh yeah, there's they're the Ghostbusters, they're all together, they're fine. No, it's it's different, and you know, I think trying to subvert expectations like that, I think is really cool. I think that, that's probably one of the strongest aspects. And you know what? If it's one single moment, Statue of Liberty, it's just freaking absurd, and I love it. <laughs> I love them like sitting in the windows, driving it down the street, and then then they cut and they're like crossing the bay, and then he's up to like his chin. Like it's just insanity, but it's so good. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. And and what's funny is they were talking about how there's so much negativity in the world, like the slime. That's one of the other storylines of this movie that we really haven't touched on very much. The slime itself seems to feed off of the positive and negative energies around it. And New York is full of such negative energy. It's almost like this movie was trying to say, hey, New York, loosen up a bit. Like, like in real life, it's like New York has so much negativity. Maybe if we, you know, create a situation where that negativity could literally end New York as we know it, then, you know, maybe real life New York will ease up a little bit. But the, the, the fact that the Statue of Liberty is supposed to be like, a beacon of hope and a symbol of joy and yeah. at, and and at one point as she's parading up and down the street the the crowd starts singing auld lang syne because it's new year's yeah do you know what that actually reminded me of i know what it reminded me of and i'm curious what you know what you it reminded me of the christmas movie elf with will ferrell oh yeah yeah it remind they, it reminds me of another Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Put that two and two together for me. I kind of follow, but I kind of don't. The old Anxiety song. Oh, it's at the end of that oh, movie. The, the old Anxiety. Yeah, actually singing that. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I get you. The, Sorry, I cut you off there. Finish your the, point. The, the 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 parallel that I was seeing was that symbol of hope and joy and love in this movie. It's the Statue of Liberty. In Elf, it's Santa Claus. And instead of Auld Lang Syne, you've got a whole group of people outside Central Park singing Santa Claus is Coming to Town with Zoe Deschanel. Mm. So those, those were the parallels that I saw. Like, in order to bring that holiday spirit that you've got a crowd of people singing a song together surrounding a beacon of hope and joy... Only instead of the Statue of Liberty, it's Santa, and instead of Old Lang Syne, it's Santa Claus is coming to town. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a Christmas movie, or maybe it's a New Year's movie. 
See, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I was thinking. You've got a lot of Christmas movies. We've got like one or two Hallmark Channel Hanukkah movies. We found out earlier this year that Chupacabra versus the Alamo was a Cinco de Mayo movie. <laughs> okay. Have y'all? Didn't I tell y'all about that movie? I can't I remember. Think it's, so. It's it's on par with Zombies as far as production quality goes. So amazing. It's a it's a it's a it's a movie from the channel Sci-Fi, not not a Sci-Fi movie, but S Y F Y. It's a Sci-Fi television production about the this army or this pack of chupacabras that are marching north from Mexico and end up attacking random citizens in San Antonio to the point that one of the US marshals stationed there played by Eric Estrada has to make a last stand against this army of chupacabras from the walls of the Alamo. So uh, the Alamo part 2 basically. <laughs> the, but instead of Mexican troops it was chupacabras. That's why they called the movie <laughs> Chupacabra versus the Alamo. Wow. <laughs> and it's it's bad. It's really really bad. They look like overgrown chihuahuas. But I'm trying to I'm trying to think of what what the Fudge is a chupacabra. You don't know what a chupacabra is? I'm just looking. I'm looking in a. Is the, it like a wolf? The goat eater. It's it's a it's it's a part of of Hispanic folklore and legend. Um, supposedly, it's part of a species that is completely unique. It's not related to uh, to the canine. It's not related to feline. It's not related to um, to to anything. It's like its own complete subspecies. And it is completely hairless and is kind of like a vampire in the sense that any prey it comes upon, it doesn't feed on the flesh, but it sucks the blood dry. Oh, that's nice. And it it just leaves the the meaty, fleshy carcass behind after it's been completely drained. Yeah. Is this like a Bigfoot situation? Where yeah, is there any proof? Like it well, but not quite, because there have actually been reports in South Texas of animals like chickens in their coops that were up against the the mesh netting, and they got too close, and something stuck its jowls through it and drained its blood and then let it go, and it just died of blood loss in the coop. Wow, okay. So, uh, vampire, hairless dogs, that's another thing for me to have nightmares about. Basically. Basically. Um, the, there's there's other myths and legends associated with it that they come out at a certain type of year, they have a certain type of food preference, whatever, but this Eric Estrada movie just kind of took it to the next level and they just went crazy and like started like attacking people and stuff to the point that they had to defend themselves from the Alamo. It was, wow. it was pretty crazy. It gave my brothers, it gave my brother their nightmares. Oh boy. Give me nightmares. It was, it was such a stupid movie because it was so poorly animated and Eric Estrada was overacting like crazy this one point where he's got a shotgun and he's like two feet away from one of them and he like turns a corner and he looks it square in the eye and they do this really tight zoom in shot on his face as he's pointing the shotgun at it and he goes chupa this (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh i have to see this movie so terrible it is so terrible 
It's it's but I'm thinking it needs to become like my new Cinco de Mayo movie because like at the beginning of the movie they're like, "Oh, honey, I have to work late tonight." She's like, "But dad, it's Cinco de Mayo." And lo and behold, we actually watched that movie on Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> it was it was kind of it was kind of fitting. It was kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, all that to say, there is a single Mile movie. If you watch Mel Gibson's The Patriot, that's a Fourth of July movie. There's plenty yeah. of um, there's plenty of Christmas movies. This will become a New Year's movie. Uh, Passion of the Christ, that's an Easter movie. There's plenty of Valentine's movies. Um, yeah, isn't Charlie Brown? have a thanksgiving special so there's a thanksgiving and the great pumpkin thank yep. uh, halloween, halloween. yeah well i mean nightmare before christmas that's a both a halloween yep. and a christmas the debate rages about whether or not which one that actually is i mean everybody that i've talked to has always said both like literally everybody i've talked to is it a halloween movie is it a christmas movie and they're like yes and i'm like that doesn't help wow Wow. Um, how did we get to there? I I have no idea where we are or how we got here or we what we're doing. We were talking about highlights from Ghostbusters 2, and we ended up talking about Chupacabras. So, Wait, we were talking about Ghostbusters 2? What? Yeah. I forgot. Or at, at some point we were. Oh, my parallels between the Statue of Liberty and uh, Elf. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> it's my fault. Okay. Uh, Jake, did we talk Oops. about your highlights? Um, I mean, no, we didn't, but I'm trying to think of, of, of some, I, I really liked the, the camaraderie between the four main characters. I think that is the thing that really works about these movies is just their chemistry. And, um, I, I just love them all together. I love, I, I, I've grown to love over the past few weeks here, Harold Ramis, especially he's like, I've become fascinated by him. I've I've looked up like interviews with him and some lectures he he gave and and he just really seems like a fascinating guy that I really never got to know that well until now. And um I mean I was familiar with with Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and even Ernie Hudson a little bit but uh not Harold Ramis as much. Um I thought the uh the romance between uh <clears throat> Louis Tully and Janine um I thought it was it worked like it was just it was kind of a side thing but it was like well what else do you do with these two characters than <laughs> this I guess uh and it worked for me I I liked it a lot and I I I don't know I dug all the ghost stuff like I mean it is ghostbusters but all the anytime a ghost would pop up I just really enjoyed it and I I love the slime. Didn't really make sense a lot of the time, like the the, the slime and the properties and and why it makes the Statue of Liberty move. Uh, and and I didn't really get that as much. But the slime was a cool element of the movie that worked for me mostly. And the uh, the Statue of Liberty was like you were saying, Ben. It was pretty ridiculous, but ridiculous enough to for me to like it and i i really enjoyed it and like i said i didn't hate this movie at all there i, I liked maybe 60 percent of it even i'd say i i thought 60 percent of it really worked 
And the other 40% was just kind of like, what, what, what is this? And uh, that's fine. You know, that's okay. It doesn't have to be a perfect movie. Um, but yeah, those, are, those are some of my highlights. Oh man. Uh, I think, I think I'm, I'm with you that one of, one of my biggest highlights was that Lewis finally finds a love interest in Janine. Yeah. Like, like he, he was, he was such a, a dunce of a character in the last film. And in, in this one, he, he doesn't have to get inhabited by a spirit in order to have a story. Right. Like he basically had no story until he became inhabited. And in this one, he's found a, a, a place of belonging with the Ghostbusters. And he's, he's found a, a person of interest that he spends a lot of time with um, with Janine. And I liked that he had that kind of character arc. I liked that he had that kind of development. I, I felt happy for him. And so I thought I thought that part was cool. And um, I think one of my other favorite scenes was there. They, they get sent to an insane asylum at one point. They, yeah. they they all get checked into an insane asylum and they have to try and explain themselves and it has to do with a river of slime and a dancing toaster and all of these other things that absolutely happened over the course of this movie and and a, a, a an angry painting that is about to come to life in the body of a baby named Oscar like there's all of these things it's just so zany and crazy and out there and you're like um wait that's actually a thing and yes for the viewer it's a thing but if you were a a a specialist listening to all of these claims you would think they needed to have been admitted two years ago just by talking i love how the psychiatrist that's talking to them is bill murray's brother brian murray Mm-hmm. And he's been in like literally every movie, <laughs> he's yep. been in everything, including Seinfeld and all this kind of stuff, and every Bill Murray movie you can possibly think of. I know him as the boss from Chevy Chase's Christmas Vacation. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah, no, I've never seen that. Oh my god, that's one of the best movies ever. <laughs> that's what I hear. Oh my gosh, how have you not seen this movie? I know. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Sometimes people just don't see movies. It, it happens. This yeah. Yet miss. Like Chevy Chase flat out loses it at the end of that movie. And it's one of the best scenes in all of cinema. Oh, my gosh. I'll watch it. Uh, let me know when and I'll hit play on the DVD copy that I've got. And I'll like experience your reactions as they happen. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I don't know many people in my life who haven't seen this movie. That's how rare that is. Like, uh, oh. my buddy, like my buddy Mondo, we were talking about this movie when we were out of town last week, and he's like, yeah, I watch it probably six times a year. <laughs> Dang. Wow. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty close to me. It's probably like three or four times a year for me because I'll see it a couple of times with my family. I'll see it a couple of times with friends. I might see it once just for myself. Like, it is a hilarious movie. Also, have either of you seen Frosty Returns? 
I think so. No. Watch the Snowman, but the animated one that came after the claymation one. Yeah, that it was had, like a sequel. It it was a sequel that had John Goodman as the voice of Frosty. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah, I definitely saw that though. There's there's a a grumpy old bad guy with a cat that is coming up with like snow remover in a can. Mm-hmm. That is uh that's also yep. Murray's brother. Wow. What what was his name? Why am I forgetting already? It's Brian Doyle Murphy. Brian. Or Murray. Is it Murray? Is it Murphy or Murray? Murray. I think I should have said Murray, but I probably said Murphy because it's late and I'm like tired. It would, it would make sense if if they had the last, same last name. You would hope kind so. Of, that would be kind of weird otherwise. Um, But yeah. Yeah, he's cool. Yep. Okay. Well, I guess we're all getting a little on the tired side, unfortunately. So maybe we just—I couldn't uh, tell. Maybe we just go into our uh, our final thoughts and our planet scores. Who wants to lead us off? I can. Okay. Yeah, do it. Um, my final thoughts are not not as good of a movie as as the first Ghostbusters, and um. You know, I feel like I can say that pretty confidently because I saw them pretty close proximity. I watched Ghostbusters and then I pretty much watched Ghostbusters 2 the day after. So it was pretty fresh in my mind. A um, lot, lot of stuff that worked, a lot of stuff that didn't work for me. And uh, overall, it's a movie that I would watch again. I think I, I was talking with Zach a little bit and just talking about how, like, I think that it works... It, it would work uh, best maybe when you watch the first one with it, kind of as like a, a full long movie, like a three-hour movie or whatever. Um, and yeah, I kind of agree with that. Uh, the the five-year time span between movies is, is a decently sized intermission there, and then um, you get this next adventure. Um I think I would give it a let's see here. I think I would give it like a six and a half or seven out of ten. It's hard for me to decide. I'm just gonna err on the side like a little higher. I'm gonna go seven. Um because yeah, I don't I d I don't think it's really all that bad. Uh but the first one reigns supreme. Okay. Cool. Ben, how about you? All right. Well, as I said, as I've said many times, I think this movie is good. It's not great. I think it's I think it definitely you know, is not as strong as the first one simply because I think it's trying to recreate some of the magic of the first one and it's not the first sequel or the last sequel to do such a thing. So it's it's really it's 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 kind of sequels that really stand on their own and and make strides to be different or whatever are really the exception, not the rule. So it's really not surprising that Ghostbusters Two is a lot like the first one, and you know sequels do that. It's it's all about kind of recreating that magic and also going ahead and taking those elements and trying to, especially with this movie when it came out, it didn't come out right after, it came out five years later, trying to kind of recreate some of that nostalgia, like, hey, this is what you liked about the first one, here, we're going to do this again. 
I totally get that. And I, I'm I'm having trouble like really faulting the movie for that because I think on the downside it does feel a bit heavy handed with the callbacks from the you know the the courthouse scene when they go in and they're talking to the mayor and it's like okay this is basically the same exact scene from the first movie like that's when I kind of click with me like okay this is a bit much but you know and there's other scenes like that too I think that's when it kind of falls flat for me I think the strongest points are just the just outlandish ridiculous parts like Statue of Liberty like you know the start where you know things are different and they've split all the characters up and they're trying to actively you know subvert your expectations and show you something that's different um i think that was really well done and i think the acting's all right the writing's good like you know you can't fault like it's it's a funny movie it's a thrilling movie it's got some really great stuff in it it's got some good camaraderie between the characters like obviously you've got an a a cast of uh characters here and some incredible actors and some incredible writers and directors behind it so like it's a well-made movie like it really looks good it's great, it's funny, and it's fun. Um, so with that, I will give this movie a 6.8. Ooh, close. 6.8, so specific. Like, not quite a 7 for you, but still decent. I feel like 7 was too high and 6.5 was too low. So... Yeah. There you go. Well, at least you didn't do a 6.9. I would have had so many jokes made about it. <laughs> oh, I should have. Oh, my goodness. I missed an opportunity there, and I'm so mad at myself. Yeah, you all you all missed it. It's all your fault. You all screwed up. Well, I, I feel like I've made my thoughts on this movie pretty clear so far. Um, the, the, the comedic timing seemed more um, – seemed to land better the action seemed to be more enjoyable. And I think maybe part of it was they were just trying to center this movie around kids and families in general. Like there was some specific stuff in the trivia. Like you see a lot less smoking in this movie because you don't want to encourage kids to smoke. So there's just some subtle nuances to it that seem to be more family centric and those family centric jokes and that family centric action some of those things just seem to land a little bit better for me, which is ironic because one of my favorite movies of all time is Deadpool. You know, I, I sometimes mm-hmm. I really love that brash adult humor that breaks the fourth wall. I just didn't care for it in the last movie. So this paradigm shift actually helped improve the franchise for me. And, and like I was like Jake was saying, I, I really feel like you need to watch these movies back to back because these types of adventures are ones that should be seen consecutively so that you have an overall idea of the world the lore um the the presence of the ghosts and what the different types of slime potentially represent um there's just a lot to it and i i feel like this builds on it really well do i think it's a better movie i don't know do i think i enjoyed it more absolutely so Please bear in mind that this score is based off of my reception to the movie, but I'm giving it a 7.5. I gave the last movie a 6.5, and I just found this one to be more complete and more enjoyable. So I give it a 7.5. I don't think the plot is perfect. I don't think all the characters are perfect. 
I didn't really care for Janos. I didn't really care for how centric the story was around Oscar. You know, there are still some things that I didn't care for about it. But overall, I think I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed the first one. Excellent. Oh, there we are. Um, I made a suggestion for what the quote of the night should be, unless you guys have any other ideas. I don't have any qualms with that. Uh, This one, like I said a, a little while ago, they've been committed to a mental hospital. They're having an interview with the psychiatrist, and it it talks about uh, it, it talks about all the stuff that's been building up to this point, including the attack on Dana in the bathtub, um, using the, the slime's positive energy to make a toaster move, um, the, the psychomagnetheric slime flow that Egon uh, talks about to the mayor and ends up <laughs> contributing to them getting committed in the first place. You know, there, there's all of these different components about stuff that has happened up to this point. And when you put it all together into one sequence, it sounds completely crazy. So that's what we've chosen for this evening's quote of the night. I'm going to shut up and let you guys have a listen to it. Here's tonight's quote of the night. As I explained before, we think the spirit of a 17th century Moldavian tyrant is alive and well in a painting at the Manhattan Museum of Art. Uh-huh. And are there any other paintings in the museum with bad spirits in them? You're wasting valuable time. He's drawing strength from a psychomagnetic slime flow that's been collecting under the city. Yes, tell me about the slime. It's very potent stuff. We made a toaster dance with it. Toaster. And a bathtub tried to eat his friend's baby. A bathtub? Don't look at me. I think these people are completely nuts. All right, there's our quote of the night for you guys. And if you want to keep up with stuff that's going on outside of uh, the weekly podcast episode that you listen to, quotes and all, then be sure to hit us up on social media at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can listen to our R-rated podcast on Phantom Empire. Just check out phantomempire.net. Previous episodes of this podcast can also be found on places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and StarWarsUnderworld.com. Absolutely. All right, one more segment for the evening before we call it a night. There's a few people listening live. If you're still with us, then get out those hashtags. If you're not, then put it on all those social media platforms that I just mentioned. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and anything else that can carry a hashtag. It's time for another edition of Hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 All right, this segment I feel like is going to be one that Ben's going to have to take the lead on because I'm not really a fan of this particular subject, but uh, it's what was in the notes, so I'm going to yield the floor to him. Well, this is a little little review thing. I, I don't know what, we, what we're calling this, but it's the segment where I, I ate something, and I'm going to talk about it, if, <laughs> exactly, if you don't mind. That's exactly what this segment is built for. Fire away. So, my family enjoys going to a place called Perrins. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's a place in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which, generally speaking, has a lot of great food. I mean, Louisiana is known for its 
its food. Um, and they have a lot of great seafood. It's prices. <laughs> yeah, we don't go there very often. Um, wow. Whatever. I'm not talking about the prices. I'm talking about the food and what you actually get for the price. And it's and it's pretty darn good. I, I know, I know, there's some weirdos out there that for some reason they just don't like seafood. I, I don't get it. Don't get me started. Just They're just fringe people. But if you're one of the normal people that likes seafood, that loves seafood, then this is for you. Perrin's is a really good place to eat. And, okay, so one of the things that we tried last time we were there was a little thing called New Orleans barbecue shrimp. Mm. And so these are grilled shrimp wrapped in bacon... For those of you, those of you meat lovers out there, and grilled and basted with barbecue sauce, and they're darn good, darn good. I mean, I'll eat shrimp just about any way you cook them, but these things were really good, and the sauce was actually really good too. Because I'm I'm finicky about sauce sometimes. You know, I don't love every single barbecue sauce I I eat, but this one was pretty darn good, and I think they did a really great job with this. And you wrap bacon in anything, you, you have my attention. Just going to throw that out there. You can wrap me in bacon. I would eat me. That sounds delicious. That, 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 my dear children, is called cannibalism. Which is is it really, is it really cannibalism if you eat yourself? Benjamin, I am not answering that question on a PG-braided podcast. Oh, I, uh, I effed it up for the second time in two, in two weeks. <laughs> How do I keep getting myself in these messes? How do I keep doing that? Why? Why? First okay. All right. All right. I just, uh, yeah, it, it's getting late, guys. It's getting late. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. All right. I can't say anything else. This is the first time in like a year that I've had to address you by your full name. <laughs> you got my attention. <laughs> That's as bad as when I get called Zachary, you know? <laughs> like, if, if somebody if somebody calls one of us Jacob, Zachary, or Benjamin instead of our <laughs> we know that crap just hit the fan. <laughs> And then if they use your middle name, oh my oh, god, oh, stuff oh. has happened. Oh man, you better wear the padded underwear that day. <laughs> All right, well, I think I've said everything I need to say. I think I just need to go home and and rethink my life. Okay, so in the in the context of of flavor, going back to the New Orleans barbecue shrimp, um, New Orleans is also known for like its its Cajun food and and throwing a little bit of spice in there. Would you say there was yeah. more spice or savory? What was the flavor content like in this barbecue shrimp? It was more savory. It wasn't a whole lot of spice to it. I think I honestly don't know why they called it New Orleans barbecue shrimp. Well, I mean, because everything, everything on this menu seems to have something that has to do with the region. I mean, there's an entire meal on there called the Punchartron. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know. I think they're just the like rep, trying to the they're trying to go off brand recognition. Okay, I would try the grilled duck breast. That actually sounds pretty good. I have never had duck. Neither never. have I. But I hear that it's it's got a different um a different texture than chicken, just a little bit. There's also a thing called the barbecue drum, 
I don't know what that is, except I was, I was for... curious about that. At first, I thought that's what you had, and then I looked up on the menu a little bit higher, and it said New Orleans barbecue shrimp. I mean, bar- I can only assume it's a a musical drum covered in barbecue sauce. That's the only thing I can figure that could be. Or you you have to play the drum until your barbecue is delivered to you. Oh boy, that would make for an interesting dining experience. It really would. Oh, that guy over there, he got the barbecue drum. Well, okay, here's here's another one that is kind of funny. I, I'm not into seafood, but I like some of the names that we're getting on this. There's there's something in the fried seafood platters that's called the whole shebang. <laughs> yep. For twenty four ninety five, you get stuffed shrimp, catfish, a cup of gumbo, regular shrimp, crawfish tails, and alligator. Alligator. Alligator's for, great. You gotta have for, some alligator for twenty four ninety five. Alligator pizza. Have y'all ever had stuffed shrimp? Uh, I know you haven't, Zach. I, 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 I had I had microwave fried shrimp when I was like three. And then I I gained a palate. See, I feel like the reason you don't like seafood is because you've never had actually decent seafood. And that's probably because the case. Like love- look, look, look. I I grew up in an area where there's seafood everywhere and there's Good seafood is kind of hard to come by. There's a lot of really subpar, crappy seafood places, oh, yeah. well, and so it's it's like you have to like go to like the actual decent places that actually have good food. So I I feel sorry for you because I don't blame you for not liking seafood. I just think you've probably had some really sorry seafood. Well, it doesn't help much that my 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 only experiences with seafood as a kid was like fish sticks ah that's that's barely seafood oh man no and then (laughs) and then when i was probably 10 or just less like nine or ten my dad tried to introduce us to fish and he cooked up mahi and uh shark and the the mahi was overcooked and the shark was undercooked oh no the shark the 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 mahi was burned and the shark was rubbery. You need to have some good shrimp, man. Some good fish and chips. Like seafood is one of life's great pleasures, in my opinion. I will vehemently disagree, sir. Well, okay, okay. Here's the thing. You guys keep talking about this road trip, all right? Oh yes. Oh, we've got to film something. To get you to a place where you have the option. You don't have to get the seafood, but you're going to try some actual seafood. Heck yeah. And we're going to we're gonna get to the bottom of this seafood phobia that you have. Oh, that would be so fun. Fun for who? Everybody. It would be fun for us to watch your agony. It would be fun for us to enjoy. <laughs> Basically only fun for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yay! Fun fun for everyone except Zach. Yay, let's torture Zach. Yeah, that's fun. We're going to get you the seafood platter. We're going to sit there and watch you eat it. I would try gator uh, just to say that I've had it. It's pretty good. that's That's kind of me with rattlesnake. I would try fried rattlesnake just to say I've had it. See, I've had ostrich. Or, you know, I I don't know if I've had... Tastes like chicken. I know I've had crocodile i think i've had both i've had crocodile and alligator because when we were over in new guinea we had um they they have crocodiles over there i believe we had this is america this is how you assert (laughs) dominance over the creatures you eat them you eat them and you eat them on pizza we are are the apex predator fear me as i put you on a slice of pizza 
Hell yeah, America! Oh man, yeah. I mean, if if we got like the whole shebang for the table, I would sample it. I would stamp. I, w- I would sample the shrimp, the catfish, the 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 gator. Like I would. I would try it just to because see, see every seafood place has a burger. They have. They supply they you. They chicken, know that dude. some some people just won't eat seafood. They have chicken. I'm the kind of guy that when I go to Red Lobster, I'm getting the chicken Alfredo. Yeah, like that's just it's a good choice too. I that, love it. That's that's just who I've been, and I know where to get some of the best chicken Alfredos in town because I've sampled just about all of them. So, and then when Zach gets the chicken Alfredo, we'll make a contest out of. Who can get the most shrimp into his chicken Alfredo without him noticing? Wow. Wow. <laughs> oh, yes. What What's really sad is I know that our buddy Mondo would be all in on this, too. <laughs> oh, Mondo would be totally down. Is like, he a seafood lover? He is. He likes seafood. But if you've met Mondo, he just likes food. <laughs> Mondo's definitely the type of guy that I could see going into Red Lobster and thoroughly enjoying himself. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. He, he he enjoyed himself at every place that we went to, except for this one little place that we went to that had terrible Mexican food. Ah. Uh, like, he gave it two out of ten stars. Oh, man. Which... That's brutal. I, I, need, I need to get him on this segment, because he loves barbecue as well. Like, being from Texas, he's kind of a barbecue snob like me, and so we know some of the hole-in-the-wall joints to go to and uh, we're actually going to try and hit up one that's over by my dad's house uh, in the not too distant future. It's oh, called Sistas with an H. Sistas. Sistas. And it's, ah. it's, it's actually Mississippi style barbecue. Mississippi style. I didn't know there was such a thing. Apparently, that's what they call themselves, Sistas Mississippi style barbecue. So interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna Very hit them up and try and find out exactly what they mean by that. But uh, in the meantime, be sure to hit me up on social media. I'm at Zach the Voice on uh, Facebook and Twitter, and Zach dot the Voice on Instagram. Jake, where are you at online? You can find me on Twitter at Jake Damon, and on Instagram at Jake W Damon. And you've got a art account on Instagram. Oh yeah, yep, yep. I I also have an art account. Sometimes I post there. I haven't posted since the last time I mentioned it. Uh, better, Jake. I said I was going to post, but it's Jexpatch, J-E-X-P-A-T-C-H. Can we just, like, challenge you to make, like, one piece of art between now and next week's episode? Oh, but then I have to work and do something, and I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Well, then we oh. challenge people to go follow him on there and comment on his most recent one and go, Do another one! <laughs> I'll tell you what, if I get five people to do that on my last post on that account, I will most certainly post something. With tell you what, week. challenge for everyone listening to this. Go to his Instagram and type in more, M-O-A-R, more, and just <laughs> spam it with that. Yeah. I'm literally doing that right now. <laughs> no, okay. Okay, Zach and Ben do not count. <laughs> Five cheating, cheating. Listeners, <laughs> no. Screw of course, me. Zach's gonna do it. Of course, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it too. Oh, if he's Zach's doing it, six weeks ago. Come on, Jake. Oh, there are the notifications come rolling in. Here we go. Uh, what is this? I drew a fez ghost. Hey, that's appropriate. Ghostbusters. Heck yeah. 
in Doctor Who. Oh, yeah, because fezes are cool. Yeah. Or at least they're supposed to be. They are. Oh, an avocado with a patch. Okay. <laughs> Eight weeks. I ago. like patches, okay? Apparently, you should do uh, Pickle Rick with a patch. That'd be cool. All right, I'm, I'm done spamming. Ben, where can, where can the folks spam your social media online? Yeah, uh, I guess I'm I'm due for some revenge. Um, find me at Ben Hart with no E on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And I've actually posted something on Instagram for the first time in like six months because I actually went somewhere. So yeah, go cool. find me there, and then uh, find me at the SWU and at Culture Slay. Oh man, so oh god, Jake Damon commented on my post. What the? Oh no, this is a war. It's turning into a comment war here, and we're going to have so much fun with that, but we're going to have to do it off-air. This is going to wrap up our discussion of Ghostbusters 2 and Chupacaba versus the Alamo and (laughs) just about everything else that we talked about on the show. Episode 295 is officially being put to bed, and we're going to be putting ourselves to bed in just a few minutes. Thanks to everyone that tuned into this week's episode. We hope that you'll tune in again next week. But until that time rolls around, we're just going to leave you with this final thought keep your friends close but your enemies closer we hope that all of you are closely tuning in to next week's episode of IPC but until then good night everyone Like